wonderful to hear some singing in the service. That means that we are one step closer to some kind of normalcy after all this crazy craziness. Some people call it pandemic, I call it pandemonium. It's full of confusion and truly reminds me of the book of Judges where it says the key verse in the book of Judges says there was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did according to how it seemed good in their eyes. And that's kind of what is going on in our world today. But thank the Lord that we have a guide, and his name is Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. And I was reading this morning that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us in heaven, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us here on earth, or we should say from earth. And, uh, and we have his word that is a lamp unto our, our feet, a light unto our path. And I was telling uh, our deacons this morning, I am tired of people talking about this and that. I already told everybody that I meet, do not send me emails, do not send me videos, do not send me posts that have to do with either COVID-19 uh, suppositions or what might happen again in September or next year or the year 2055. I don't want to hear any of these things anymore. I want to be concentrated, concentrating only on the Lord, His Word, and doing what we have to do. Because Christians are listening to a lot of voices out there. Everybody is listening to their opinions. And... Uh, and everybody's in a panic and in a fear <clears throat> because they hear so many voices. So this morning I want to exhort you before we start the message that you listen to the voice of the Lord. The Lord says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and they will not follow a strange one, a stranger. So don't listen to the voices of strangers, listen to the voice of the Lord. Amen? This way you'll be more focused, you'll be more uh, secure, you'll be feel safer. And this is not denying reality. This is reality. Okay? The Lord is reality. So uh, I want to exhort you to do that and continue to be faithful. Uh, it's in <coughs> interesting that so many unsafe people are outside you know, doing things that they should not be doing, some of them. And uh, everybody's going to work. Those who now have the, uh, the possibility and the ability to go to work. But yet I, I notice that a lot of Christians are cowering away in their homes. They're afraid of the little, littlest thing. And the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of, a, of love and of a sound mind. Amen? Now what are you afraid of? Dying? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We Christians are very funny people, aren't we? Now, I'm not saying don't be cautious. I'm not saying do not, you know, be wise. What I'm saying is, remember, the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen? Amen. So let us pray this morning before we begin. 
And let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning, thanking you for your grace and your mercy, for your sweet loving kindness, for your tender and wonderful mercies which endure forever. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed abundantly on that cross for our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal life that we have and the forgiveness of sins. Help us this day to worship you in spirit and in truth and to cast aside every distraction, every fear, and deposit it all on you, Lord, because you care for us. Bless this day, bless all that we will do and say today, dear God, this service, the, the two others that will follow, and we commit all this into your hands this morning, thanking you and praising you, asking that you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah, chapter 9. I'm going to be reading the first seven verses of the chapter. This is one of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Bible. Okay? And we're, uh, we're going to be speaking today about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the Word of God says. Chapter 9, verse 1 of Isaiah. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior sandal, from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood, will be used for burning and fuel for of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And may the Lord add his blessing upon the reading of his word. We all know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the center of the universe and he is also the center of the word of God. He is the central figure of all and of everything. His personality is so complete, so perfect, and so great that it took 40 writers and 66 books to describe him. 
Four of those books tell us about his earthly ministry after his incarnation. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, we're told, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And, of course, in Matthew, where inter- uh, Matthew quotes that verse, and he interprets it as well, the word Emmanuel, it's a Hebrew word. He says, which interpreted means God with us. Because those who were reading the Gospel of Matthew, it was written in Greek probably. Uh, and so he interprets what the, w- the word means, Emmanuel, means God with us. And that's also uh, in agreement and harmony with what John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us. It tells us, and the word became flesh, and what? Encamped among us. Set up a tent among us, a temporary dwelling. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us his earthly ministry. Even the calendar revolves around him. We have B.C., before Christ, and we have A.D., which is taken from the Latin Anno Dominus. Or Anno Domini. It means the year of the Lord. Uh, now, some people nowadays have uh, invented a new one, BCE, instead of BC. They want to say before. They don't want to say before Christ, so they say BCE, which means before the Common Era. Problem is, I have a question: When did the Common Era begin? Okay. We know it began with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this ought to be more than enough for the world to realize that he is not just anybody. He is God himself. It doesn't matter what the world with its false religions and philosophies and vain deceit might tell us. The fact is that he is God with us. He is Emmanuel. If ever there was a time to exalt the name of Christ, it is now. The church of Christ must lift its voice as a trumpet to proclaim to all that the only hope is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ must worship the Lord and must exalt his name rather than cowering away and staying hidden in their homes. They need to come out. They need to stop being afraid. They need to trust the Lord and remove every fear from their hearts. Doesn't the Lord say, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world? Isn't his presence always with us? Doesn't he say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? So why should we fear? So let us lift up the Son of God high and let us live in such a way that others may want him in their lives. It's amazing, as I said before, how people find time to do other things, but they're afraid to come and worship God. I was speaking with Sister Rosalina here this morning. She says to me, oh, it's so good to be back in church. You know, and I feel the same way. After, what, three months or so that we were without any services here, Uh, It's a relief 
to, to come here. Last week we had one of the members of our church come. She's 86, 87 years old, and she came. She had one of her sons drop her in, drop her uh, here at the church, and she came in. She was so happy she came. She's still alive as far as I know. Now, I'm going to give you a description this morning, even though partial, of this wonderful being loved by so many who is the center of everything. In Isaiah 9, 6, we have five attributes of his, and uh, the Apostle John in the New Testament, he says, and of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The first adjective that we have is wonderful. A wonderful, <clears throat> a wonderful God does wonderful things. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's why the psalmist says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. In Psalm 40 and verse 5. And that's called... A blessing. It's talking about blessing. Many, O oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. When we look at the works of God, we can uh, not help it but feel blessed. It says also, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107, verse 8. He is the object of praise. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 111, verse 4. That's glory. Your testimonies are wonderful, says the, another psalmist in Psalm 119, 129. What's wonderful? His word is wonderful. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Isaiah 25, 1. He is the object of worship. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. People who get angry when God does something, people who get angry when God is praised, it shows nothing else than the fact that they're children of the devil. Because those who love God will worship God. Those who love God will honor God. Those who love God will want to read and love his word. Those who love God will love the brethren. Those who love God will walk in the light. And if someone gets mad because you are, as they put it, religious, which I hate that word, that shows that they are not of God. And the Lord told that to their faces in John 8, 44. He told the religious leader, he says, you are of your father the devil. See, he did not mince his words. Nowadays, people are afraid to speak the truth from the pulpit because somebody might get offended. Well, if you get offended because of the truth, too bad. If you get offended because I act wrongly, I do something bad, then that's different. But if you get offended at the truth, you got a problem. You got a problem. See? But our God is wonderful. Under this name, wonderful, he appeared to Samson's parents in Judges 13, 
18, when uh, Manoah, was uh, uh, Samson's father, asked him his name, he says, why do you ask my name, knowing it is wonderful? Okay? When we consider his humble birth, his sinless life, his redeeming death, and his glorious resurrection, our, our hearts cry out how wonderful he is. Okay? His position is exalted, but he reaches down to the lowest and most depraved of sinners with his grace. His name is wonderful because he is wonderful. Amen? The second adjective we find is counselor. He is counselor because he comes to us as the revealer of the Father's will. This is the meaning of, of, of his divine title, the Word. That's his name. The Word of God. He is the substance of God. In the book of Hebrews, we're told, who being the brightness of his glory, meaning the sun, okay, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's the son reflecting the father. Okay? It's by the word of God that he makes his will known. You want to know the will of God? You read the word of God. Amen? See, a lot of people have to go to university and get a PhD to, to come to that conclusion. You want to know the, word of the, the will of God? Read the word of God. Study the word of God, and you will know the will of God. Okay? People are groping in darkness these days because they don't know the word of God. And because they don't know the word of God, they don't know the God of the word. The son was with the father from the beginning. No one knows the father as the son knows him. And he has come to the world to make the father and his will known to us. As the divine word, he is the revealer of the mind and heart of God. He didn't just come to reveal the Father, but also to give us the ability to walk in obedience to him who has, <coughs> excuse me, who has redeemed us. That's why we're told, your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Isaiah 25, 1. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of the heart to all generations. Psalm 33, 11. I love this Psalm 73. It says, you shall guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. How comforting to know that after our journey in this life is over, the Lord will receive us in glory. Life after death. True life. Psalm 73, 24. The mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. Jeremiah 32, verses 18 and 19. So we see that his name is wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is the mighty God. Christ is God. You ask people, who is God? Well, God is God. See? Well, what is his name? Well, Jehovah. Yeah? But that's not just a name. It's an attribute. <coughs> means the self-existent one. Uh, well, I don't know. He's God. 
They don't know. Unless you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know God. And the Bible says it very clearly in the book of John, in the first John, he says, he who does not have the Son does not have the Father either. The Father is known only through the Son. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See? Christ is God. Many deny it, but the word of God is firm. It's uh, certain. Okay? If Christ were not God, he would not have accomplished his redeeming work at the cross for our sins. Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. But what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do according to your great works and according to your might? Who could have done the work not only of creation, but the work of redemption if he were not God? What man could have gone to the cross to die for the sins of the whole world when every man born of woman is sinful? He had to be God, and he is. What God could do a work like the work of the cross? What God could do such a mighty work like resurrecting the dead and then resurrecting from the dead? Behold, God is mighty and does not despise anyone. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. The book of Job, chapter 36 and verse 5. And then the apostle Paul, speaking about Israel, he says, whose are the fathers? In other words, whose means Israel, right? The people of Israel. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh... In other words, humanly speaking, Christ came. Who is over all? God blessed forever. Who is Christ? He is God over all, blessed forever. Romans 9.5, another evidence of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great is the mystery of godliness, tells us the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Can't make it clearer than that. He doesn't say a God. He says God himself. God was manifest in the flesh. God became flesh. Always remember that Jesus was not a man or is not a man who claims to be God. Jesus is God become man. Eh? The Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5.20 And you can read the whole first chapter of Hebrews that tells you time and again that Jesus is God. So we see that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. In Hebrew, their Wonderful Counselor is just one word or one qualification. Wonderful Counselor. And he is the uh, 
mighty God. And then he's something else. He is the everlasting Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, three times in the eighth chapter of John, tells the Jewish believer, the Jewish leaders. First of all, he says, he tells them three times, I am. The first time he says to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you shall know that I am. Then he tells them, Unless you believe that I am, you shall perish in your sins. And the third time he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And the Bible says they picked up stones there to throw at him. Why? They knew what he was saying to them. He's using the same words as in Exodus 3. I am that I am. See? Then uh, in the upper room, at the Last Supper, when they're celebrating the Passover. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient. And he replies to Philip and says, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and you still don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the express image of the Father. The Father is invisible. And the only one who's able to reveal him is the Son. Everlasting Father, or it can also be translated Father of Eternity or Father of the Coming Age. The Son must not be confused with the Father, even though He and the Father are one, according to John 3.30. But it, it is in Him that all the ages together meet. Open with me one second, if you please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. If you want to be blessed today, read the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 1. Look what it says. God, who in various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. See, the Father made the worlds. Through the Son, who being the brightness of His glory, in other words, the Son is the brightness of the Father's glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now, is there any doubt as to who is? the writer of Hebrews speaking about? We know with it beyond any doubt that he's talking about the Lord. Okay? And that's why also in the Old Testament we are told in the book of uh, Micah, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. 
You see, some people think Jesus began, in other words, the Son of God began to exist right after his birth. No, Jesus, the man, began to exist. He became man, but the Son existed from eternity past. Because it says here that he uh, would be a ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The child was born, but the son always was. That's why it says in Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. See, the child was born, to be sure, but the son was given. Okay? The son always was and always shall be. That's why... In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he is speaking himself. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Somebody asked me this question the other day. Why does he say Alpha and Omega? Well, if the Lord had been speaking to John in English instead of in Greek, he would have told him, I am A and Z. If he had been speaking to him, to him in Hebrew, it would have been, I am Aleph and Tau. Or if he had been speaking to him in Spanish, it would have been, A y Theta. In other words, the first letter and the last letter. But he's speaking in Greek. So in Greek it says Alpha and Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet is Alpha. The equivalent of our A, only that it is pronounced A, like in Spanish. And then the Omega, which is another O. The Greek language, the Greek language has two O's. Omega is the last letter of the alphabet. And I remember as a child, we used to go to the Greek Orthodox Church, and on the altar, okay, here's the door where the priest went inside the sanctuary, up here. There were images and icons, and on top here on this side and on that side we had Alpha and Omega. Huge Alpha, huge Omega. I remember that vivid, vividly. And I asked my mom one day, why is that there? She says, because that's who he is. Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And only God can be that. Amen? Only God can be that. The beginning and the end. In the same chapter, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And who's speaking here? The Lord himself. Then further down in the same chapter, in verse 18, he's, he's still speaking, and he says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have, I have the keys of Hades and of death. We have no doubt as to who he, who he is. It's the same the Lord, the same Lord, the same Jesus. And then, interestingly enough, that's in the first chapter of the Revelation. You go to the last chapter of the Revelation, just almost at the end of the Bible, chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. It says, and behold, he's speaking, Again, he says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me 
to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And interesting, just two verses after that, he's speaking again, and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Can there be any doubt as to who he is? Okay. And that's why also John, in the first verse of the first chapter of his gospel, the famous verse, uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Same thing as in Exodus 3.14. Moses says, who shall, I send, who shall I say sent me? And the Lord says, you shall tell them, what is your name? The Lord says, I am that I am. This you shall tell the elders of Israel. I am had sent me. That talk speaks about eternity, right? So he is wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and he's also the Prince of Peace. What is the world looking for today? They want peace, but they really, do they really want peace? Because those who want peace begin by having peace in their hearts. Peace begins in here. If you don't have peace in your heart, you're not going to have peace outside. And if they're seeking peace, why are they protesting and screaming and yelling and demanding and destroying? And okay, I'm, I'm for people, if they have to demonstrate, let them, de let, let them demonstrate, but do it peacefully. When they start violating and breaking other people's properties or causing violence or killing people, that's when their rights end. Okay? The other day they had this father on Fox News, this black man in Seattle. They killed his son, 19 years old, 17 years old, a special needs child. He was out there, the protest, somebody killed him. He was not the police. And after that day of the interview, two, three days ago, it had been almost two weeks since that had happened. And neither the mayor of the city nor the, the governor of the state ever called a man to give him condolences. Nothing. They didn't even allow him to see his son in the hospital, you know, in the morgue. Black lives matter? Sure they do. But if they do, why are they killing them? And it's not the police again. It's not the police. So don't, don't swallow that. Okay? Don't swallow that. I believe black lives matter. But I also believe Greek lives matter. And I believe Dominican lives matter. And Grenadians' lives matter. And Nicaraguans' lives matter. And everybody else's lives matter. Because my Bible says God so loved the world. Every human being matters. And sure, granted, there are a few rotten apples out there that need to be weeded out and taken care of, yes. But do not condemn the whole of 
creation because of one person that did not do the right thing. Peace. Peace is something that the world seeks so badly and they don't find it. Why? Because they have ignored the prince of peace. When the Lord resurrected from the dead or before he went to the cross at the Last Supper, that same chapter where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That same chapter where he says, he who has seen, has seen me has seen me, has seen the Father. In that same chapter, he says, peace I live with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen? John 14, 27. And then we're told in Romans 5, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Once you come to the Lord and accept Him as your Savior, you are justified by faith. And when you're justified by faith, you have the peace of God in your life. All other kinds of peace are false and temporal. But then in Philippians 4, 7, we're told that in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So in, in, in Romans 5, we have the peace of God, uh, the peace with God, I should say. And in, in Philippians 4, we have the peace of God. Now, first of all, you have to have peace with God in order to have the peace of God. Amen? That's how it is. Christ gives us peace because he is the Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest, it says, and on earth peace, goodwill to men, when he was born. His first word to his disciples after his resurrection, like I said before, it was what? Peace. Peace. So let us worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true God of true God forever and ever. <clears throat> the world might collapse. The world might explode in a million pieces. But the Lord is God, and he's in control of the universe. That's why I love the prayer that the Hebrew people give every, every day almost. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. He is the King of the universe.